Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. It is great to have you with us each week we come together. We take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday in our church here. And uh, uh, today we'll be looking at the first Sunday after Trinity, Trinity 1. In the uh, one-year series, we count time a little bit differently than in the uh, uh, three-year series, A, B, and C. And so if you're in a church that counts the Sundays after Pentecost, you know you're in a church that uses the three-year series. If they count time with the Sundays after Trinity, you know you're in a one-year series. And that's what we do here. We proclaim the one Savior from sin, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we do it through the one-year series of readings. The readings now for the first Sunday after Trinity takes us to our gospel reading. I've always thought this was kind of an odd way to begin the Trinity season, but here we are, Luke 16, 19 to 31. Vicar, take it away. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to there from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us and he said then i beg you father to send him to my father's house for i have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment but abraham said they have moses and the prophets let them hear them and he said No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Oh boy, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, why would they listen to somebody who has come back from the dead? Uh, Really, really kind of the money verse in our text. Um, Pastor, there are so many things that um, can be rabbit holes that people get uh, fired up about with this particular section from Luke chapter 16. Jesus is teaching here, 
and it's not a hundred percent clear as you read or listen to these words if Jesus is talking about an historical account or if Jesus is telling a parable. Uh, generally, when Jesus tells a parable, he makes it very, very clear that it is a parable. Um, Pastor, where do you come down on this? And uh, is it a big deal if this is a parable or not a parable? Well, I uh, come down in the it is a parable uh, camp because we have right before that in chapter 15, we have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, and then at the beginning of 16, we have the parable of the dishonest manager. Even if we go back to chapter 14, we have the parable of the great banquet uh, and uh, the parable of the wedding feast. And so we have a whole bunch of parables in this general area. And so it would fit with that as another parable. Does it really matter? No. Uh, The things Jesus is saying are true either way, whether there actually was a guy named Lazarus or not, and he would be the one who would know what was happening um, between Lazarus and Dives after death. Uh, For sure, he could tell us the truth in that matter, but I do think it's a parable teaching us uh, about faith and how we get to heaven. Teaching us about faith and about how to get to heaven. I think that's uh, very important for us to keep in mind as we review these words from Luke chapter 16. uh, The rich man and Lazarus. Some people would say the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Don't don't get hung up either way. Uh, Along with Pastor Moline, I, I think it makes more sense to take a look at this as a parable in addition to that long string of parables uh, that this one fits right into that long string of parables the uh, the whole deal with carrying on the conversation with father abraham that seems to be very parabolic in my mind we have uh, to the best of my knowledge no other uh, time in scripture where father abraham takes on a uh major presence in heaven. Pastor, uh, thoughts on the the whole Father Abraham thing? Well, um, I think it's an important thing for us to understand uh, what's going on in the sense that Abraham is the father of the entire Jewish nation, and he's the one then that receives the promise that was given to Adam and Eve, passed on to Noah, and now it's come to Abraham. And so in that way, he represents um those who are faithful, who have trust in what God has promised. And just to be clear, the promise that God gives to Adam, to Noah, and to Abraham is the promise that there'll be a Savior born who will rescue people from sin, death, and the devil. Uh, In other words, Jesus. Um, And so Abraham is standing in as a person of faith in the sense that he believes that promise of God. Okay, so... um I think that's I think that's well said, especially with regard to Abraham as the father looked at as the father of uh, faith. Um, Genesis chapter twelve, where we have the call of Abraham. Things are getting more and more specific. We don't want to we don't want to go down the rabbit trap 
uh, rabbit hole, rabbit trail, whatever you want to call it, that so many people do with regard to Abraham. You know, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham is the father of the Muslim nation. Abraham is the father of the Christian nation. So can't we just all get along in our world because we have Father Abraham? And I think I think that is the absolute opposite way that the Bible teaches us to look at Abraham. Well, yeah, I think to understand Abraham, we need to go back to the scriptures and look exactly at what it is that made Abraham um, set apart from other people and important in the scripture sense. And it is because he was given a promise that one of your descendants uh, will be the savior, that your descendants will number like the nation or the stars in the heaven, that uh, sands on the earth, all these things, but that one of them, uh, through him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's the key part of it, and that's a foretelling of the promise of Jesus. Abraham believes that promise, and that is credited to him as righteousness, and that's the thing that's important about Abraham, and I think that's the thing then with Lazarus that is the same Lazarus believes God's promise, even though he has nothing else in the world. The rich man has everything else in the world, but does not believe, and there's the dichotomy. And so Lazarus is kind of an embodiment of Abraham, who is, they're both an embodiment of us as Christians who have faith in God's promises. And wisely, the Old Testament reading for the first Sunday after Trinity is that Genesis 15 text where we see very, very clearly that Abraham is not saved by his heritage. He's not saved by his good works. He is saved by grace through faith. And we know that that's on account of the person and work of the one who will come through the loins of Abraham, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor, uh, we have a rich man and a poor man here. And uh, some people listening will be will remember back in the late uh, mid and late 70s where there was this phenomenon, a miniseries that uh, took place in America called Rich Man, Poor Man. And it was so wildly popular, it became Rich Man, Poor Man Part 2. And it was a huge, huge deal culturally uh, back in the 70s. Uh, and this was when miniseries took on a life of their own, like Roots. Uh, so we have this rich man, poor man thing. It's kind of built in our culture. You know, when you're poor, uh, sometimes you're maybe a little bit envious of people who have more than you. Uh, that's, that's kind of human nature, I suppose. So rich man, poor man, you, you've alluded to this. Uh, I want to press you on it, and I want, to make, want you to make this crystal clear. Is being poor a virtue that gets you into heaven and is being rich a vice that keeps you out of heaven and sends you to Hades or hell? Um, no, you aren't saved because you're poor and you're not condemned because you're rich. Rather, faith is the issue. And as we get through the uh, parable, we'll see that. So, this so is the important. rich man, poor man is just incidental. It is, but I think it teaches us, too, um, we, we have to expand upon that. Why didn't the rich man have faith? Well, he had faith in his finances, in his... He had faith in his stuff. Stuff, yeah. He had idols, fake gods that he believed in, uh, and that's the problem that he had. Now, to be fair, a poor person could be uh, the same way. 
have idols that they trust in, you know, uh, a political leader or a program or or something like that. It could even be the poverty. It could be, you know, uh, that was a big the issue in the mentality kind of a thing. Early sure. to late Middle Ages, where you have the people who uh, think they're going to be saved by giving up all their wealth and living in the wilderness or whatever, uh, living a life of poverty. And in that, that sense, they're earning salvation. And that, again, I think the Small Called Articles does a good job with this. That takes away from the personal work of Jesus, and anything that does that is against the gospel. Okay, so we have this rich man, poor man, and we don't want anyone to get the false impression here, and it, and it happens so easily, that simply being poor gets you into heaven and simply being rich keeps you out of heaven. This is about faith. This parable is about faith, faith in the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, faith in the all-atoning sacrifice of Jesus, who is the seed uh, from the loins of Abraham, the promised Messiah, the promised Savior. We have no liberation theology going on here. This is, this is as simple as it gets. We are saved by grace, through faith, on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if we're trying to get something else out of the rich man and Lazarus, we are <clears throat> barking up the wrong tree. We're not letting the scriptures speak for themselves. Amen. Amen. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the first Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the first Sunday after Trinity. I can't think of a better hymn to summarize uh, the account of the rich man and Lazarus, if you prefer the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, than that hymn that we heard coming into our uh, program, this section, Let Me Be Thine Forever. Uh, we, we want to cling to God. How do we do it? Is it because of our lineage, because of our heritage? Is it because of our good works? Is it because of the color of our skin or our socioeconomic status? Uh, how, how does God work? How does one get into the kingdom? How does one stay in the kingdom? And God's word here in Luke chapter 16 answers that very, very quickly. Okay, so we have the rich man and the poor man. And the poor man is named Lazarus. The rich man has no name. We can uh, talk about that uh, later on. Uh, 
You got something you want to say? On I was that just going to say, in the Middle Ages, they traditionally called him Dives, which was the Latin way of saying rich person. Okay. Uh, in our text, and I know we have tradition with the names of the two thieves that hung on the cross as well, but uh, they're not named in Scripture, and the rich man is not named here. I think there's a theological thing going on by not giving the name There is, to, yes. And that's what I was alluding to. So we got the rich man and the poor man, and the rich man has all kinds of stuff, and He's got so much food on his table, uh, stuff's fallen off, and he doesn't even notice it. The poor man is uh, uh, dependent upon other people's generosity. The dogs eat the, the scraps from the table, but Lazarus doesn't. All Lazarus gets is the dogs to come and lick his um, festering, more than likely pus-infected sores. And then in verse 22... Vicar, uh, would you read verse uh, Luke 16, verses 22, and we're going to have to read 23 as well. 22 and 23. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. <coughs> and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Okay, so the uh, the great equalizer comes in Luke sixteen verse twenty two. Doesn't matter if you're rich and poor, folks. Uh, you're going to die. You're going to die. If you're on Twitter, you can get a daily death reminder tweeted out to you. You will die one day. Have you seen those, Pastor, on Twitter? Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, in one respect, it's kind of morbid. In another respect, it's very real, and it keeps it real. So the rich man could not live forever just because he was rich, and the poor man could not live forever, Lazarus, simply because he was poor and virtuous. They, uh, the other distinguishing mark here is the poor man Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And that's another clue, Vicar. We talked about this during the break. Why Abraham is mentioned and so prominent here. He's carried to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And then the next verse, verse 23, starts out, and in Hades. Pastor, it seems pretty clear. Sort all this out for us, would you please? Yeah, uh, there's distinctions made between the rich man and Lazarus. You mentioned already the name, uh, which drives us back to baptism, where we receive our name, our Christian name, if you will, that declares us in the faith. We also have... Um, when they die, the uh, rich man is buried, but Lazarus is carried by the angels to Abraham's side, to heaven. And so there's this distinction that's being made here where in relation to God, things are not the same, even though um, you'd think they might be. And it's kind of the opposite of what you expect. You think that the rich person would be saved and the poor person would go to hell. The rich man can buy his way into the finest clubs, the uh, political groups, the parties. He can sit at the um, you know fundraising dinners that uh, they put on and things like that. He can go to the lead center with season tickets. He's got uh, front row football tickets. Uh, so he can get his way into anywhere he wants to with his money. The poor man can't. But now when it gets to heaven... 
That's not the entry fee, if you will. That's not the token that gets you in the door. There's something different, and that's what's being pointed out here. The name of heaven being described as Abraham's bosom, because it's clear that that's what we're talking about here. Uh, The poor man, Lazarus, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, carried to heaven. It's kind of an odd way to say Lazarus died and went to heaven. The angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. Is there some something of significance there that we should uh, pay attention to, Pastor? Well, um, first off, I think we've got to point this out because it's my favorite hymn, and we, we need to do that. We sing it um, in the hymn, Lord Thee I Love With All My Heart, which is a great one. Um, we talk the last verse about when we die, we get carried to Abraham's bosom. The idea here is that um, uh, the bosom, it, it doesn't mean you know, bosom like maybe we use it sometimes today, but it's the side, the location, the familial place, the same way that uh, John at the Last Supper leaned against the bosom of Jesus. He leaned against him right next to him because they were friends and and acquaintances. It has to do with uh, that close familial relationship, and that's the same thing now that Lazarus has with Abraham, who is kind of the father of the faith, if you will, for them in their way of thinking. In this parable now, we have Lazarus in hell, or uh, we have the rich man in hell, and he looks up from his spot in Hades, and he sees Father Abraham and Lazarus. Um, it would seem to me that an even greater torment, simply uh, in addition to being cut off from God for all eternity in the fires of hell would be to be able to look and see that not everybody is in hell. And uh, that, that just adds insult to the injury, adds greatly to the torment. And then we have this uh, unusual exchange. Uh, the rich man calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. Pastor, are we to take this literally that people who are in hell are in anguish in the flames of hell? Well, we, we definitely say they're in anguish, and it's an anguish that would be similar to that, whether they're burning or whether that's just a figure to try and explain how terrible it is there. That's the debate because we have weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place where uh, another place it says the worm does not die as if you're being eaten alive by maggots forever. And so it's it's suffering and it's pain and it's bad, whether it's, uh, you know, like you see in the cartoons, uh, you know, little shoots or uh, geysers of fire and lava all over the place. That's the debatable part. I think what I'm trying to get across with this description is, uh, as we say in the catechism, God has given me my body and soul and all things, my reason and all my senses, my members. And now in hell, the absence of God, the place where he's not, he's no longer providing these things for you. And that is the suffering and pain that we're talking about here. Abraham responds, and he basically says, uh, you know, rich man, uh, you had lots of good stuff during your earthly life. Lazarus really didn't have anything. Um, And so you had the opportunity to enjoy all kinds of wonderful things while you were alive. And you were comforted in that way. Now you're in anguish. Um, So basically, uh, tough Tough toenails. This is the way it is. And then in verse 26, he says, And besides this, 
between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 16 teaches us that there is a great chasm between heaven and hell. Pastor, is this something, again, that we are to take literally? Uh, If it is, how are we to understand it? If it is not, how are we to understand it? This great chasm that is fixed between heaven and hell. Well, I'd be careful to say we don't understand it literally, but what I'd say is is that it's not like you know the Grand Canyon and heaven's that's on one what side I, and what hell is on Thank the you. other. But it, what it's teaching us is that it is impossible to go from one to the other. There's not uh, a way to save yourself once you're in hell. You're there. And there's not a way to unsave yourself once you're in heaven. And I'd point out here, too, that there's no place in between. It's not like you can start in the chasm and there's only an exit to the heaven side of things, uh, like purgatory. No ladder to crawl up. No ladder to crawl up. You are either in heaven or hell at the moment of your death. And so it, it appears clear from the text that the people in hell can at least see certain aspects of heaven, but not vice versa. Because if the people in heaven could see the torment in hell, it wouldn't be heaven. Is that a fair fair way to describe things based on this text? Yeah, I think that uh, that's the reality, and I think that we do the... We need to understand that when we have loved ones that die too, because what do we always say? You know, now your loved one's looking down on you from heaven, which is absolutely not the truth, right? I, I hope when we don't hear that from your pastor, but uh, sadly you may. When you're in heaven, uh, looking down on this sinful, difficult, uh, falling apart world would make heaven not perfect and not complete. And so um, there's no back and forth. It's once you're there, you're there. Um, in the time that we have in this segment, Pastor, when we read and we confess that Jesus descended into hell, how are we to understand Jesus descending into hell in light of the fact that there is this great chasm that is fixed and that we don't pass back and forth between heaven and hell? What's the point? Well, um, Jesus isn't just a regular person like us. He's God, and so he has different rules, if you will, um, that he sets for himself. So he's free to go where he wishes. When he descends into hell, though, it is kind of like the um, ancient Roman triumph or the ticker tape parade after you know the Yankees win the World Series. Um, that's the sort of thing that's being done here. He's going down and declaring his victory to all the people in hell. Like, you should have believed in me. I gave you every opportunity to. I gave you my word, and you continually rejected me. And now look it. I've won. Uh, and that's the sort of thing he's doing when he descends into hell. Okay, so uh, we have the rich man and Lazarus. Both of them die. The rich man goes to hell. The Lazarus goes to heaven. We have this exchange going on now between the rich man and Abraham with regard to, you know, he wants some relief from the torments of hell. That's not going to happen. Besides that, there's this great chasm between heaven and hell. 
And so now, all of a sudden, the rich man becomes an evangelist. He wants to start a mission project or a mission society. When we come back from our break, we're going to take a look at that part of our text from Luke 16. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come and join us. We are open for business. Uh, we worship every Sunday morning at 8 and 1030 with Sunday school for all ages right now in a suspended state. We'll be starting up Sunday school by the middle of August, we're not exactly sure when uh, adult Bible study will start, but it'll start again sometime this summer. And uh, we are we are gathering for worship in the sanctuary. We are taking all the uh, necessary health precautions to give a safe environment for people. So I just encourage you to come back to church if you've been staying away. Uh, of course, if you're sick or an extremely uh, high-risk category, stay home. We'll provide everything on the radio, KNNA 95.7 LP. You can uh, connect uh, to our radio station through the internet, thecross957.org. All of these things, including our YouTube channel, are easy to connect through. To connect to through our church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org. Uh, love to have you in church. Give us your feedback on proclaiming the one as well. Vicar, we've been taking our time working our way through the gospel reading, Luke 16, 19 to 31, the rich man and Lazarus, or as most people would say, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, Vicar, if you would be so kind as to start at verse 26 and read to the end of our text to get everything fresh in our hearer's mind before we dig into it. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Okay. The uh, rich man in hell all of a sudden has his focus shifted from his own suffering and torment to thinking about his family members who are back home who also uh, just couldn't care less about God. And so he wants Father Abraham to send them a special warning, a special warning so that they wouldn't end up in hell with you. I beg you, Father, to send him, meaning Lazarus, to my father's house. 
I have five brothers, uh, so that he may warn them, lest they come to this place of torment. Pastor, it's a good thing to not want our family and friends to go to hell, correct? Yes. Okay. So what's what's the problem here with the rich man's request? Well, uh, the problem is, is that's not the way God works. And also the additional problem is, is Lazarus is not under the control or uh, he's not a slave to the rich man who's in hell he's He's in paradise and bliss he's still the rich man still wants to boss him around because he's the scum of the earth who was poor and sat by the front gate begging for scraps that mentality is still there it just boggles my mind yeah uh, but you know people who think this way right and even i think this drives home the important point um even if someone rises from the dead, if you don't listen to what the scripture says, you're not going to believe, right? Well, let's just imagine that Lazarus did go back, and he said, by the way, there's hell, and your brother's there. What would they say to him? They'd laugh. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, we got his money now. Go away, poor man. They wouldn't even probably open the door to let him in to say that part. No, and they would say, Lazarus, you you must have faked your death. You're, you're not really raised from the dead. Come on. Uh, you made a jump there, Pastor, and I want to make sure that our, our hearers have this as well. Um, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What, do you, what does uh, Jesus mean when he is teaching here, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear him or them. He's teaching the same thing that uh, Lutherans always teach and that uh, scripture teaches that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when he says Moses and the prophets, he's talking about Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible that he wrote, and the prophets being the rest of the Old Testament, the uh, Old Testament scriptures all proclaim that Jesus is coming and that faith in him is what's going to save you. And that's the way that you're going to believe in the promises of God. There's no other way. I think it's key here then, again, to consider Lazarus's name in this matter. The name Lazarus means the Lord helps. And I think that's key here. How does Lazarus get into heaven? Well, God created faith in him by his hearing uh, God's word, reading the scriptures, hearing the scriptures at that time probably. Uh, In that process, the word came to Lazarus, and in that, the Holy Spirit called, gathered, and lighted him and brought him to the faith, and that's why when he dies, he is in heaven. God has done the work. God helped him. God saved him. God has brought him into his kingdom. Okay, so in other words... Moses and the prophet is shorthand for the Word of God or shorthand for the Bible. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So they have the Bible, Jesus says. Let them hear them, the words of the Scripture. Uh, Has anything changed in that regard today, Pastor? No. No. This is how God brings people to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through the Word. The Word, the Word. It is that clear. And um, the rich man, uh, you know, again, he wants to correct everybody except himself. He said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now, at least he understands here the need for repentance, maybe uh, whatever he means by repentance. But um, uh, 
Abraham then says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Pastor, this seems to me the most dramatic irony of the whole thing. The scriptures clearly teach that the Messiah, the Savior, will suffer and die and three days later rise from the dead. So when we're talking about the testimony of someone who has risen from the dead and the testimony of the scriptures, aren't we talking about exactly the same thing? Yes. Okay. That is so ironic to me that uh, Lazarus, uh, the rich man, is so close to understanding what's happening here, and yet he is so far away. Well, that's the uh, truth. Uh, Christ himself teaches that on the last day of this world, when he brings everything to an end, when he comes to take us uh, to be with him, that uh, there'll be those who say, Lord, uh, we we were with you. We did these things in your name. Why aren't we going? And he says, truly, I say to you, I never knew you. This is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, I think, uh, the the final judgment is Matthew 26. Um, that's what's going to happen. It's faith that Christ has died and rose from the dead to forgive all sins and that in him we have eternal life. That faith can only come by the work of the Holy Spirit in the Word, and that's the way that we are saved. No other way, no, um, no action that we can do, no money we can spend. It's all we're saved completely by grace through faith. So, Pastor, what does this teach us with regard to the emphasis that we should have in the church right here and right now today with regard to how we, our church, what our worship looks like, what our uh, evangelism, social projects, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, confirmation classes, uh, how they should look and what they should look like? Yeah, that um, we could spend a whole show talking about that. The key is to deliver God's word in its truth and purity. Uh, a pastor's job is to tell you what the word says, not what he thinks, not what he feels, just what the word says. Uh, a church's job is to deliver uh, what the word says, and it does that not only uh, through the preaching of the pastor, but also in the words that are said as a part of the liturgy. Every every church. Uh, follows a liturgy of some kind. Does that liturgy teach and reflect what Scripture says, or is it some made-up baloney that uh, the pastor put together? The hymns that are sung, do they actually teach what Scripture says, or are they just uh, something that makes you feel good or are fun? Even uh, Vacation Bible School, I'm not saying you can't have crafts and things like that, but what we want to make sure is that the kids actually hear the Word and learn that the Word is important. This is why it's important for parents to take their kids to church every week, to sit next to them in the pew, to teach the kids that God's Word is important, because it's by that Word and only by that Word that eternity is uh, bestowed or not bestowed, and that's the key thing then. So... Everything that we do and everything that we say should have as its foundation the Word of God, the Bible, properly understood. Properly understood, we mean properly distinguishing between law and gospel with the bloody death and glorious resurrection for forgiveness full and free at the heart, core, and soul of everything that we do. Is that a fair way to say it, Pastor? Yes, Definitely. This is 
Go ahead. I was going to say, we always need to be evaluating the things that we do, especially, I think, as Lutherans. Um, uh, we oftentimes are mislabeled as traditional Lutherans, as if the things we do are just tradition, and we do them that way because they're traditional. That's really not the truth. We are um, originally evangelical Lutherans, meaning it was all based upon the word, the gospel, the being proclaimed. And I think that's what we always need to be doing. Everything that happens within our building, be it the radio station, be it the bulletin design or the worship service uh, layout, even the content of the sermon always needs to be evaluated against God's word. And where we fall short uh, or don't quite do things completely, we need to be... um, how do I say it, brave enough, have enough courage to change the things to allow God's word to predominate so that people might be saved by that word. Amen. And, uh, you know, we always talk about how the epistle reading is a practical application of everything else we've talked about. <laughs> Vicar, in the time that we have left in this segment, read the epistle reading for first uh, the first Sunday after Trinity, 1 John four sixteen to 21. And this is everything that we're talking about with the importance of God's word and faith and Jesus. So, We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. But fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What beautiful words to bring this section to a close. A great practical application of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We're going to need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to look at Genesis 15, 1 to 6. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Jesus, my salvation, my light, my life divine, my only consolation, oh, make me holy thine, for thou hast dearly bought me with blood and Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the first Sunday after Trinity. We've been uh, having as our bumper music today, hymn number 689, Let Me Be Thine Forever. And we just heard that verse 2, Lord Jesus, my salvation, my light, my life divine, my only consolation, oh, make me wholly thine. For thou hast dearly bought me with blood and bitter pain. Let me, since thou hast sought me, 
eternal life obtain. A great verse, a great verse, one uh, worthy of memorization, folks. Uh, great hymn, great verse, and uh, sets the stage very well for our Old Testament reading because we're going to talk about Abraham, and we're going to talk about faith, and we're going to talk about the object of his faith. Vicar, you want to take it away with our Old Testament reading? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. We're going to see later on in Genesis the fickle faith of Abraham, who uh, does not always believe the Lord, and tries to work things out on his own. In in our text here, it's Abram, not Abraham. Uh, Is this a typo in the scripture, Pastor? What's going on here? No, uh, names mean things in the scripture, and this is before Abram's name has been changed to Abraham, and so uh, it's just that um, he has a different purpose in in the story at this point. God hasn't changed his name as he will later when he circumcises him. In the same way that when we are baptized, we give a new baby uh, their name, you know, how are you to be named, Adam, Moline, and uh, we give them that blessing in that way as well. Names mean things, and he's still just Abram at this point. I think it's worth pointing out, though, also names mean things, and we have have the possible heir, Eliezer of Damascus. Eliezer is the same name as Lazarus, which means the Lord, or let me say it correctly, God helps. Uh, and so we have an interesting thing there in that regard. We, uh, we have a wonderful thing that is going on here with regard to names. We talked about that a lot with our gospel reading. Lazarus is named. The rich man is not named. A name excuse me, gives you access. Um, If I know your name is Daniel Golden, I can call you by name. If not, I just have kind of say, hey, you. So, So there is something going on there with the names. And God comes to Abraham, or Abram at this point, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. What is this reward talk here, uh, because that seems to be the opposite of what we have six verses later, where Abraham believes God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, uh, the reward discussed here is the same reward that God promises to all the faithful people, and that is forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation through Jesus Christ. Um, Eternal life that comes with that is really the thing. We get to inherit all that belong to God, and he shares it with us and rejoices with us uh, all the days of eternity. Abraham hears God's promise, and Abram is not happy. Abram complains. 
He whines like a little six-year-old. He says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. You have given me no offspring. Pastor, is Abram saying he's upset because he has no offspring because of the promise of a savior through his offspring? Or is he upset because he has no offspring because it was a shame in this culture to have no boy babies? I don't know that Abraham is upset or angry. Um, it's, it's possible, but I think what he's doing here is he's holding God to the promises that he had given earlier in chapter 12, okay. where God had promised him that uh, this land I will give to your offspring, and that promise gets renewed several times in Abraham's life throughout all the scriptures. And so I think... This is, again, Abraham looking at his life and considering his age and what's going to happen and saying, you know, God, here's what you've promised. How is it going to be fulfilled? What time is it going to be fulfilled? And we always have that same sort of thing, you know. We know that we have the promise of eternal life and forgiveness of sins, but we're always saying, how long, O Lord, how long? When is it going to be fulfilled for me? When do I get to see you face to face and experience your joy? So, I think it could be taken that way as well, especially here, Abraham saying, you promised that my offspring would inherit this land. And right now it's just this guy, Eliezer, you know, um, we have to understand how important this is for Lazarus, even to the point that he and Sarah try to take things into their own hands and have uh, Hagar bear him which a child. Which is the very next chapter. Which is him trying to save himself if he really believes God's word that through his offspring the Savior will be born. And God says, no, that's not the way it's going to work. I'm taking care of this. You can't save yourself. So it's a halfway confession of faith at the same time asking God when the promise is going to be fulfilled. Okay, God loves it when we take his promises and hold them in front of his face because it means that we know them and that we believe them. And so I, I really appreciate you bringing that out. The text doesn't make it 100% clear if he's complaining to God that God hasn't kept his promise or if he is holding God's feet to the fire with regard to that promise. And it could be a little bit of both because we are at the same time saint and sinner. And then God... Um, uh, the word of the Lord comes to him. And again, here's that, that emphasis on the word. Um, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Brought him outside. Look toward the heaven. Number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. You can't have offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky if you don't have at least one boy baby to perpetuate the family line, perpetuate the family name. So by giving this big, big, big picture promise, Abraham, Abram at this point, not quite Abraham yet, is told by God, he's going to keep his word, you're going to have an offspring, you're going to have a son to inherit. Pastor, when we read Abram, believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. What does this mean? It seems like kind of uh, religious gibberish with regard to counted it to him as righteousness. Uh, 
help expand that because my understanding is that properly understood, this is one of the greatest testimonies of the fact that we are saved by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Have I imported my Lutheranism to this verse, or does this verse actually say that? No, and I think the uh, first great Lutherans of the early church took it that way as well. For example, St. Paul. Um, (laughs) And that's the way that God then uses it to teach us. And I think that's key here is this promise is being given. Think of it as a bank account, right? Your bank account is empty. Maybe it's even negative. And yet God's saying, because you have faith, uh, I'm going to put all this into your account, and it's going to count for you. And what's the thing he's putting in there? It's not money for us, but rather it's the blood and righteousness of Jesus that's going to be put in there. And that brings up what comes right after this with uh, Abraham cuts a covenant. He cuts the animals in half. He sets them out there, and the Lord appears in a smoking pot and stands in the midst there and says, I'm going to make this promise to you. I'm going to keep it, and if I fail, then I'm going to be like these animals that I'm standing in the midst of. That is exactly what happens then to Jesus, who is killed and crucified for us for the forgiveness of sins. So when we're talking about this word credited, you know, like uh Vicar preaches a good sermon, and I give him lots of credit publicly for preaching a good sermon. This word credited here is an accounting, a financial term. And so your, your uh, illustration of the bank account uh, is not only a good illustration that reaches home, this is accurate with the text. How does this work then with regard to uh, my account, judgment day comes, the settling of the accounts, um, what's in my account. Uh, if we're going to use that, that term from the text with regard to uh, a monetary credit kind of a thing, complete the circle for me, would you please? What, what's the thing that he credits to us? Yes. Yeah, the righteousness of Jesus. Uh, we're clothed in that righteousness in baptism uh, so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see poor, miserable scumbags. Instead, he sees the perfect, holy Son of God who died to take away the sins of the world. And that counts for us then. We're we're in the team. It'd be like, um, you know, before we were wearing Colorado Buffalo's outfit, and then we came to the football game, and luckily somebody threw a Nebraska T-shirt over the top of it so that when people look at us, they don't see a poor, miserable scumbag or whatever. Instead, (laughs) they see a Nebraska football fan. It's the same thing, only now we look like Jesus, and that's good news. Some people look at this text, and they think that Abraham is saved by his great faith. The object of his faith is not his faith. The object of his faith, and that's the whole smoking pot thing, the object of his faith is the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus, the Savior who would be born from his loins, through whom all nations on earth would be blessed. Abram, later Abraham, is saved by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus. We cannot make that too clear for our hearers. Vicar, sadly, we got to bring this to a close. Would you do us the honor and pray the collect for the first Sunday after Trinity? Let us pray. O God, the strength of all who trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. 
And because through the weakness of our mortal nature, we can do no good thing. Grant us your grace to keep your commandments, that we may please you in both will and deed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One today. We do this every week. like to hear you and see you again next week. When you get up on Sunday morning, read your paper, drink your coffee. Please pray for your pastors, and most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ.